You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I wasn't going to bring this up, but... You know, if you did hold the world record for the one mile dribbling a basketball bracket, that was broken this weekend. What happened there? I got a taste, just a minor taste of what you must have felt like when when you dumped Carly and everyone ragged on you. I must have been tagged in 100 different places. Hey, did you see this man? Oh, he beat you. What are you going to do about it? Everywhere. Direct messages, texts, Facebook messages tagging on his video on flow tracks video this guy's got to be sick of my name getting tagged in this stuff everyone has spent the last week reminding me that this guy just smashed my world record so so for those of you who don't know bracken held the world record for one mile dribbling a basketball and you'd run 452 i think it was 452 and when i got done i said you know what if i had just done a couple weeks of dribble training i could have cut 10 seconds off because i hadn't Mm -hmm. practiced one bit and then if i just got in better shape I think I could do 439, like all out in like peak shape. This guy went out and did 437 on his first try. <laughs> and you know what? I watched the whole. IG. He looked easy. He looked like he was out for a Sunday stroll. I hate to say it. He crossed the finish line, not even out of breath. He turned around and talked right away. Mm-hmm. I was working and looked like wooden and mechanical by the end. He looked loosey goosey the whole time. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call him for traveling and I'm going to negate the whole thing. I think he he scooped that ball a little too much, Bracken. Oh, man, it was. Now, he's the he's a track coach at UNC. So he's he's got some pedigree behind his name. So all, all the props in the world to him. I, I know how much 452 hurt. So I, I just got a 437 is really, really fast. It was super depressing to watch. But yeah. now I've got my uh, my rehab goal. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're still the people's champ. People's champ. You're still the people's champ back in. Sorry about your loss, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, it's not all about me this week. Yesterday was your birthday. Yes, it was. 37 years old. And the day before, you went out and you did exactly what you told the people you were going to do. You ran 37 miles. Did you, yeah. did you do it a day early to avoid weather? Uh, it rained all day Sunday and Same it was here. miserable. Yeah, it was so gross. And so, in fact, I had to get that done early on Saturday because the rain came in midday here. So, yeah, I, I made sure to get it done. I didn't want to be out there for five hours soaking wet. That would have made a miserable, somewhat experience for sure miserable. So now, Before you get into it, I want to frame it like with my own point of reference here. Last summer, I ran my first ultra on the trails. I ran a 50K, so 31 yep. miles. And I had like, what, 4,000 some feet of vert with it. And I averaged like 8 to 12 or 8 11 per mile. I know what you averaged because I'm going to tell you something when I came through my 50K. Well, then (laughs) I look at yours and you did 37 miles at what, 808? 802 pace. 802. And you had, we were pretty much equivalent vert. I had just shy of 5,000 feet. You had a little more vert and you had six more miles to get it. So like we were running similar terrain. You ran faster per mile with seven more miles. And that that ultra, I cracked the whip a little too hard early and I paid for it. 
like you do. And that was a serious effort for me. So I was really, really impressed when I saw this in a training run. I had an idea what you'd run in that 50K. And in the back of my head, I said, in fact, when I was approaching mile 31, I said, I'm going to push through mile 31 and then I'm going to hang on because I wanted to see what I'd come through my 50K in. Um, and I just cracked 4,000 feet of vert at 50K. Okay. And I was like four oh something like four, close to 409 410 does that sound about right um yeah and what was i 412 something like that but i'm pretty uh, sure I, i'm pretty sure i squeaked in front of you uh and then my wheels fell off shortly afterwards yeah uh, my my last three miles my last six were rough but my last three were maybe four were just survival like it took all the power output i could manage for every uphill step i took like pure it felt like I was kicking for three miles to try to run 830 pace. I felt the same way for five miles. I was having arm swings like I was down the final stretch of the yes. 1500 meters. I was leaning forward like my form and core was completely disengaged. If you saw my profile running, you would not recognize me for a second. You would not even know who was running because I was outside of my own norm that much. It's such a bizarre thing that when you've totally tapped out your energy reserves and your muscles are just on fumes, that it takes all your effort to run recovery pace. Yeah. And you're right. A different stride, like on the home stretch, arms pumping stride to try to like turn over sub nine pace. Yeah. I looked at my heart rate data. Um, the last five miles, I think I averaged just under eight minute pace, like eight, seven fifty five, And my heart rate average was 166. <laughs> I was just so smoked. Normally that would, that would give me a 120 heart rate average. Yeah. You, yeah, you were off road. So like pace is relevant. Technical but... terrain and, and off road. Yeah. yeah. But still, nonetheless, it was ridiculous. Yeah. But yeah, for me, the furthest run I'd ever done was uh, 21 miles, roughly over three hours. Um, and I do it, you know, my long runs typically would, would circle around three hours, but this was another two hours on feet I've never experienced. And it, it was such a different feeling. I, I made the mistake. I, I turned on a trail intersection about 16 miles in and a guy turned on right behind me. Like we came from different angles and I dropped, if you looked, I dropped a couple six twenties or thirties around miles 16, 17, 18. And I, that caught up with me. Uh, that was probably the one mistake I made. And then the other thing that I noticed is I would say if any strength of trail running would be my downhills. And it was the downhills that actually crushed me. I was looking forward to the uphills because my hips were so gone, Bracken, that it was painful for me to descend the last 10 miles at least. It was uncomfortable, unenjoyable, and actually painful. And so I was begging for uphills because at least I wasn't getting the pounding. So it was just so bizarre to feel like a total body shutdown. But, um, you know, I, I told people like I saw Jesus that last five miles because I don't remember any of it. And I don't remember like what happened or any intricacies because I was just so in debt that it was like mm -hmm. a bizarre, it's like race brain, but like worse. It was weird. I don't remember the run at all. It's like I had like, I don't know, a lapse of consciousness. That's interesting. When I did mine, there was one section that you double back on and you, you, you hit it in like mile three and you hit it in mile 29, I think. And yep. it's uh, basically a one mile hill and you gain like 480 feet. So it's a hill, but it's not a climb. And the first round through, 
we were sub eight on that. Uh, Tyler Siegel and I were still together at that point, talking yeah. up the hill, holding each other back, and ran like seven twenty four up the hill. Yeah, you know, with four hundred feet of gain. This coming through at mile twenty nine, it felt like the death march in Killington. I bet it, it took everything in my body to get up there and mentally it took an hour to get to the top of that. I just couldn't even imagine doing something more difficult than that. And then the downhill, you're right, was not a relief. Like mm -hmm. 4,000 feet of, of drop or 5,000 feet of drop is a lot, but it's something you and I have done multiple times in our life. But when you spread it out over five hours, it's not easier to take it in smaller parcels. At first it is, but then by the end, you're so depleted that you can't handle a, a 100 foot drop. Like you yeah. would. No, I could not. Um, and little things happen. Like, you know, my headphones died at two and a half hours in. So now I'm yep. solo for two and a half hours. Little things that you didn't think you would anticipate. Um, my, my foot started to hurt so bad because my, my hokas got a little tight. So halfway through, I switched to ultras to give my mm. toe box more room. And that saved my life, even though they were zero drop. It so you were doubling back on your own tracks. Did that make it tough? I had to refuel. Um, I had to refuel twice. Mm. Uh and so, yeah, I had my truck parked, so I circled back. Was it hard to leave transition? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I was pretty focused, man. I, I think, you know, I've been working on saying I'm going to do something and then doing it. And I yeah. think there's something to say about that. And, and I think we had this interview with Hobie and a few others where they're not afraid to call their shots and say, I'm going to go and I intend to win or I intend to do this. And that's been like my 2020 resolution is to say I'm going to do something and then do it. Yeah. Because there's no, there's no, there's no shame in proclaiming your intentions and it also helps hold you to the fire. So, um, so no, I was ready to roll. I just wanted to cool. get out and get it done. That was in the back of my head, but, um, yeah, man. So, uh, before we jump into our topic today, and it's actually kind of a, our conversations, a segue, cause we're going to talk high mileage versus low mileage. And we both have our thoughts on that. Um, we are running a contest and we mentioned this in our last episode every week for the next four weeks, we are giving away one month of free coaching to someone who writes a review for us. Um, we checked Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. I don't know if any of you wrote reviews anywhere else. But anyways, free month of coaching. We uh, put you on a random number generator. I think we had 26 of you write reviews for us this week. You guys fucking rock. Um, and our winner is... I like the drum roll. Quater Aru, Mr. Kenny Wade. Sir, thank you for your review. You can reach out to us on the running public to get the best coaching of your damn life. Okay. I did not know who you were going to announce before you announced it. Yeah. And I just checked my phone as you're announcing it because I didn't silence my phone and I had a, a alert come in. He just messaged me on Instagram. Shut up. I'm, I'm not joking. Right here. I don't know what it's about. It just says Kenny Wade. We'll put up to the camera. You're, so Kurt can yeah, you're, not, you're, you're not lying. No. Look at that. The universe is aligning for you, well, Kenny. Well, I'll tell you what. I don't. I don't have Kenny slid into my DM. So my guess is Kenny's going to choose you as a coach bracket. <laughs> if, if I had to go down a limb, I think you're his choice. All right. And thanks everybody else for your reviews. You will. Uh, if you didn't get picked this week, you will be added to the pool next week still. So you still have a chance. Uh, again, next month, write us a review. Uh, doesn't matter content or even if you give us a good or bad rating. Uh, random, random number generator. We'll get you there. So uh, should we chat about our topic today, sir? Let's do it. So we talked your long run. And now a question we've got from a lot of people is the age old debate in endurance sports, high mileage versus low mileage or high volume versus low volume. And you and I both have pretty 
pretty definite feelings on it, but we also don't believe that there is like we're going to convince you of one right now. We kind of feel like we're going to present both sides and let you pick whichever suits you as an athlete. And I will say, you know, this topic we plan to cover, but our good friend, Brian Gawiski, every time we uh, put out a poll asking what you guys want to hear about, he's just diligent with this high mileage versus low mileage uh, conversation. So this one's for you, Brian, but also for the rest of you good people. Um, You know, you've experimented with both, haven't you, Bracken? High mileage and low mileage in your career? Um, Well, I'll let you start this conversation. I think we look at this similarly in general, but uh, if you had to give your overarching philosophy on this, do you have do you have something you could say in in summary regarding the, the topic? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I I believe that if you are striving for the best performance possible, that everyone who's trying to perform well should should hit the highest volume that they can safely handle, and that bigger volume always produces better results if you get to the, the start line healthy mm-hmm. and rested. And that's, that, the that's the big caveat right there. So I'm not saying everyone has to run the biggest mileage that you can run. I'm saying that you should hit the biggest mileage that you can maintain with health and with recovery. And obviously, I'm going to dive deeper into that as we go. But that is my overarching feeling on mileage. Yeah, I agree with that. The tough thing about that is you don't know what your upper ceiling is until unfortunately you've crossed the line a little bit and found out what is too much. Um, so I've gone through that a number of times through through my years. And so it's not going to be clear, first of all, like, oh, what is my ceiling and how much running can I handle before I either feel burnt out or get injured? But I agree with you. Um, the most you can run with staying injury-free and maintaining your vigor for training, because sometimes you can just get flat if you're just yeah. slogging along for no real reason. Uh, before we started recording, Bracken, we, we, I don't know why we didn't record this, but you had mentioned, you know, people sometimes are just exercising versus training and mm-hmm. high mileage can sometimes fall into, I feel like people are just exercising and not training with purpose. And so there's a fine line there. Um, what kind of runner would you say you are as far as what do you gravitate towards? Well, I would actually say that I respond better to moderate to high volume. Why is that? Uh, because when I've been at my best, it's always been at the point in my career where I was doing more than I was previously. I've never hit real big volume. The highest week I think I've ever hit was 78 miles. That is big volume. That's big volume for me, but that is that is small volume for a marathon runner, you know, for or for even for an elite 5K runner. You don't see many people doing less than 80 a week on that, or even milers really at the world level. 80 mm-hmm. is kind of what people hit. However, for a 170, 175 pound athlete, uh, 70 plus miles struck me as a lot. And at the time, I was also getting um, 12,000 plus feet of vert per week as well. And I was running that at altitude. Well, you might so, as well have been running 90 miles on flat. Right. Yeah, the way I, I figured is I had at least 50% more um, volume because of that, because my time on feet was huge. Yep. So I, I figured I was running high 80s, low 90s worth of pounding at that time. And that's when I was really cracking. However, I've also raced extremely well off 50 to 60 in big workouts. And mm-hmm. I'm talking big workouts. So I guess if I had to add to one addendum, to my statement, which is everyone should run as high mileage as they can possibly maintain healthily while hitting your 
quality days. I drive my mileage after I fill in my quality days. Once I've hit those, now it's what can I handle on the other days without compromising my quality days. And there are times, depending on my workouts, that 50 is the most I can maintain if I'm hitting big workouts. But I can hit 70 or 80 if I'm hitting more sporadic but consistent workouts. Yeah, you actually led me right into my my first point I wanted to make. And I, I've experimented, as I mentioned, and I can respond okay to high mileage as long as that volume isn't taking away from how good my quality days are going. Um, seeing numbers on paper, I know can be addicting. Seeing time on feet, seeing miles add up, it's something satisfying and you want more, more, more. Um, but if we're doing this to race, guys, which I assume most of us are, Really, what matters is our ability to put out high amounts of work and pace to show up on race day and perform fast. And where high mileage can be a detriment is if you are running on trash legs so much that you just can't quite get what you need to get out of your quality days. And so the first caveat to all of this is we have to go back to really being diligent with the 80-20 principle if you're going to choose to be a high mileage runner. The easy days have to stay easy. And yes, you can get some underlying benefits from that volume, um, you know, you know, increasing red blood cell count, developing mitochondria, all that fun stuff. Um, but you have to go easy on your easy days. Everything can't be a rock star workout. And no matter if you're high mileage or low mileage, all that matters is those big workouts still. You have to be ready for those big workouts. So don't increase your mileage uh, to detriment your quality days. That's exactly it. When I increase volume, and I start hitting big numbers, it comes on the 80 side, not the 20 side. It, I, mm -hmm. I, I immediately switch to more like 90-10 at the beginning when I'm switching sure. up where all my build comes from easy and it drops my percentage of quality until I can handle that and then I can add it back in. But uh, I, I, three, three different times in my life have I hit 70 plus miles per week in training cycles and build up. First time was my freshman year of college and we raced every day. You know, our easy runs were 610 to 620 pace for 10, 12, 16 miles. And our hard days were hard effort, but I wasn't hitting the times I should have been because I was always tired. And it was the first yep. time I got a running injury in my life. IT bands flared up and, and I just wasn't fast. I graduated high school running 426 and I finished my freshman year of college running 431 because oh, wow. I was trashed. I just couldn't access all the training I put in. It just wasn't there for mm -hmm. me. The second time happened out in Colorado. I did the altitude and the vert limited me to easy running. And then I'd hit two quality sessions per week. That's when I first started running two per week because of altitude and volume. And I raced really, really well. That was like 2014, 2015 racing. I was fit and I was running big mileage and I was healthy. And then last spring, I hit some uh, 60 and um, 70 mile weeks as I was prepping for an ultra. And right away, I dropped 10 seconds off my mile time just because my fitness was up. And mm -hmm. I dropped like 15 minutes off my 20 mile time trial. And like I was I was healthy and fit again. And the two, that, like the correlation between those two times and that wasn't there in the first one is that I was running easy mileage and workouts mm -hmm. rather than running moderate to hard 80% of the time. You laid out exactly what I think that people need to hear is that uh, the easy running is still the foundation of a high mileage program. And if you try to do too much hard running in combination with high volume, you're going to be flat and actually probably to detriment to your actual peak level fitness. Um, something, you know, I always consider myself a low mileage athlete. And then I look back at it 
and I have my injury prone, uh, yeah, I'm injury prone. I think a lot of people are. Um, but then I look back at my log and I realize I am a high mileage athlete. I just put in some of my mileage cross training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm putting in, you know, I ran 50 miles this last week of running, but I also spent 30 miles worth of time on the bike in mm-hmm. a sense. So really in combination, I put in 12 hours of training last week, eight hours of it was running and four hours of it was biking. And I actually, I think total, um, you remember, uh, you remember you grew up in Wisconsin. We talked about badger miles, mm-hmm. the badger, they never, this was before GPS days guys, but the Wisconsin badgers would only, they would consider everything seven minute miles. So if they had to run 12 miles that that day, they would multiply 12 miles by seven minute pace and they'd go out and run for whatever that is an hour 24. Um, so I do cross training and I just say, okay, seven minutes on the bike roughly equates to one mile of running for me. And I just keep track of my mileage that mm-hmm. week. So last week I ran 83 miles in a sense, and I am a high mileage athlete based on time on feet. So if you are injury prone, um, the way to get that volume is to fill the gaps like I do. I only ran three days last week, but I cross trained three as well. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the key there. Uh, or it leads to one of the keys for if you want to do the low volume approach, because there are people that are successful. Bernard Lagat, um, there are many, many sources that point throughout his career, he doesn't run much more than 50 to 60 miles per week. Mm-hmm. And he is, I believe, the fastest, unless um, he's the second fastest 1500 meter man in history. I believe he still is. And he just ran at age like 43 or whatever he is. He just ran the Olympic trials in the marathon. And this was the first block where he extended and did some volume. But prior to this, he had run 59 or 60 minutes and a half off 50 or 60 miles a week. So he's a guy who's obviously a freak of nature. But there are people like him who do have success off low volume. And you have had success off low actual running volume. I have in the past as well. But the common theme there is that our volume comes in on our big quality days. Yes. It's not that we're running... 40 miles per week and running three mile quality days is that we're running 40 to 50 miles per week and we're hitting nine to 12 mile quality days yep. where we're hitting, you know, you might get a two mile warm up, but then you're getting an extensive like 90 minute hill session or, you know, 10,000 meters worth of interval work. Like we're not babying our speed days, we're hammering our quality days and our volume is low because we're really having to recover between everything where I'm not running those big of workouts when I'm doing 70 mile weeks. And if they're big, they're not as intense. So as my volume drops, the intensity and the duration of my quality days actually rises to fill in that gap. Yep, the same thing goes for me. Really, when you're looking at your programming, um, you gotta start, if you look at your week, you have to look at the framework of your quality workouts. And those are gonna be like the highlights of your week. No matter if you're on a a low mileage athlete or a high mileage athlete, what's going to really propel your fitness is going to be your quality workouts and then maybe your long run or your quality long run. Um, And the way to get that and and get ready for longer races, even if you are a low mileage athlete, is to make those quality days big. That will prepare your body to handle the stresses of racing. For example, I know a lot of guys go longer than three hours on their long runs and sometimes, and, and I cap it at three, but I may make two hours of that three hour long run real work which is a crazy amount of volume to be working hard if you think about it, but it still gets me race ready for long races. Even if I'm only running 30, 40 miles a week total, I've put in the enough pertinent and intense time on feet to prepare myself to race well. Um, I think the difference is, is when you turn into a high mileage athlete, um, 
that time on feet just maybe, you know, as you mentioned a number of times, Bracken, it's, it's skill work, it's practice. It's just becoming efficient. Um, I, I would argue that being a high, as long as you're hitting your big quality workouts, the diminishing returns on being a high mileage athlete uh, begin to happen pretty quick, in mm-hmm. my opinion, if, if both athletes are doing their high quality work. Yeah, I agree with you. And in sports like triathlon or obstacle course racing, where multiple skills are in play, the necessity for dropping some of your volume somewhere in your training arises because now strength training becomes more important, as does additional skill work. And Mm -hmm. so that's why the best high mileage triathletes in the world are the Brownleys, and they're running like 70 miles per week which is not high volume for someone who's running 10Ks and half marathons at the end of their race. That's not high volume, but they're also putting in, you know, three or 400 miles on a bike and they're putting five hours on a pool in the pool. And, and suddenly their volume is coming from other sources and their workouts are intense on the run. And that's the, like, you have to be prepared for the demands of your race for the volume and the intensity, no matter what style you're using. And if you're running huge mileage, you get to you get to ease back a little bit on some of the intensity of workouts because you just can't do both. But if you're not running big volume, you have to prepare for the intensity and duration of your race on your quality days. Yep, I agree. And if you look at some of the best athletes in, let's say, OCR anyways, even though you look at guys like, you know, Ryan Atkins or Ryan Woods or VJ Jones or Ryan Kempson, guys that have had recent success at the top level of our sport. Go take a look at Ryan Atkins Strava. He's running like 30, 40 miles a week. But when you look at his big days, they are hammer time. Like he isn't putting as much time on feet as you think he is. BJ Jones is not putting as much time on his feet. All of those guys aren't. Uh, in my opinion, I wouldn't even call them high mileage athletes. But when they hit a workout that matters, they're hitting high intense volume, making it count, making it race applicable and setting themselves up for success. Uh, I see you want to say something there, Brad. Oh, only that Ryan also is a high-volume person in his life. Uh, he's a high-volume person, but yes. runner, I wouldn't say. Yeah, he. I mean, he'll do bouts where he'll hit 60 to 80 miles you know, in preparation for big things. But no, his mileage is generally low, but he bikes a lot. He hikes a ton. He's always on his feet living. And so his volume is in life. Like, but he, yeah, his running volume is not high. VJ Jones is not high. Ryan Woods still runs, what, 50 or 60 miles a week? In seven runs. He's never taken a day off. So really, his days, I mean, his recovery days are seven, eight miles. Yep. Uh, you, you have the people like John Albin who put in 15 to 20 hours per week on feet and sometimes do massive uh, runs. But again, he's skiing as much as he can and climbing and hiking and they're time on feet people and they hit really specific quality days. Yeah, I think that's the big that's the big uh, bullet point. Number one is that no matter if you're going to choose high mileage or low mileage, uh, making your quality days count no matter what is priority number one. Now, I want to give the listeners some something because right now we're just kind of floating around giving our you know theory on this mm-hmm. um but let's give some people some actionable ways to look at this so what let's say you're going to take an athlete i have opinions on this i'm sure you do too but we're going to take an athlete and he's uh never been an endurance athlete in, in their life they've been the classic 400 meter sprinter soccer player basketball player and now they say i want to get good at endurance events where do you steer them what, what, which route would you, would you point that person? Let's say they're, 
they're not injury prone. If they're not injury prone, I first try to start kind of maxing out the time they're doing in the days that they have. So say they're currently a four mile, a four day per week runner. I want to get those four days to the point where they're getting 45 to 60 minutes of work per day. I'd like to get them up close to an hour of work on those four days. And once you can handle that, then we add a fifth day. And that's the progression. The fifth day might start at 20 or 30 minutes. And then it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. But on every day, I'm, I'm not a person who prescribes off days. I, pres- I prescribe rest days. And so you're biking or rowing or hiking every single day that you're not running. So the big key there is to build up your work volume first. I'll try to get them to seven or 10 hours of work throughout the week but maybe only four are running. And then as they kind of level up, now one of those bike days converts to a run. And then a second hike day converts to half hike, half run. And so that they're not adding in more work and more time on feet. They're just changing the amount of running that they're doing. So their body's used to it. And then the percentage of runs starts to raise and the cross training lowers a little bit until they find that their current ceiling wherever that is. And then that's the plate we hold for a while, sharpen up, hit a race, and then reset and try to aim slightly higher in the next training block. Yeah, I I noticed with my athletes, and I know I just referenced Ryan Kempson, but I'm going to reference him again in the sense that he was an explosive athlete his entire life, and then he found Spartan racing and he got excited about it. Um, If you look early in his racing career, he would go out strong and have a hard time holding on and blow up and fade away. And then he was kind of irrelevant at the top end of our sport. What a guy like Ryan needed, and a lot of you out there come from athletic backgrounds where you're, you know, type one muscle fiber, fast twitch athletes. We work towards, I would say you're probably going to get the most out of yourself working towards actually being a higher mileage athlete. What you need is more time on feet. And so if you grab it, you, I mean, and again, before we started recording, you mentioned an athlete of yours who was a 400 meter runner and mm-hmm. her life in over it took two years, but she's three. been working three years. She's been yeah. working more on time on feet, working towards higher mileage. And that has been the ticket because as you type one fast switch athletes, you already have the speed most likely that you need to run fast enough. You just can't hold on to it. So I would I would honestly gear a slow build towards our fast switch athletes. I would push you towards the higher mileage athlete route in a responsible manner. In my opinion, um, I think you're kind of saying that it, it, we're saying it in different ways, but Ryan Kempson would be a great outline of, of how that's worked. I know I reference him as being a lower mileage athlete in general, but compared to years prior, this is as much volume as we've ever seen out of him and his results have shown. Well, and that's exactly it. It's not what your volume is compared to what other people consider high volume. It's what your volume is compared to what you did prior. And so Mm -hmm. if he came into the sport and was struggling with 25 miles a week and then next training block, he gets up to 30, that's high volume. Yep. That's higher volume. And yeah, he supplemented with cycling and with all his deep water pool work. But then over time, now he's hitting 35, 40 miles per week, which, you know, someone might scoff at and be like, that is child's play. That's what a high schooler runs. Well, if he's four years into his progression, he is a high schooler. And you know how many high schoolers are out there who are faster than all of us? A ton because talent doesn't hide. It doesn't say I need 80 miles to come out. It says I need more volume than I used to have to incite a response, a change in my body. And that's what you do. You don't worry about a number. You worry about increasing your number. Correct. Yeah. Comparison is the root of all evil as far as volume goes. If you're looking at other athletes, we're talking, yeah, building towards higher mileage for yourself. Again, uh, if you're that fast twitch uh, ball sport athlete getting into endurance sports, I would start 
trying to test your uh, volume limits with the running, I think you're going to see the biggest return on investment that way. Now let's take the other side of the coin. I have a number of athletes right now, and I'm, I'm guessing you do. They've always been the slow one, so to speak. They can't run a fast mile to save their lives. You know, their their mile PR is seven minutes, but they can hold 730 for, uh, for a 10K. It doesn't mm-hmm. even make sense. So now we have that side of the coin. And now I'm going to say the opposite. And I'm going to say that athlete actually needs to put a lot more emphasis on their quality days, a lot less emphasis on the volume, let their legs recover more, get more snappy, uh, get some muscle memory on a faster turnover and build that high end, you know, anaerobic threshold work. Um, And I would steer an athlete like that who always feels slow. I would steer them into the lower mileage direction, probably deload them as we increase pace and intensity. Yeah. Yeah. I would get them running some mile and 3k pace intervals, some VO2 max intervals and, and kind of force feed that for a training cycle, reducing their volume. And I'd like to keep the long run in for them, but to make it an enjoyable aerobic long run, but you're hitting probably two quality interval sessions per week and hitting your long run. And then over time they graduate back up to volume. Whereas Mm -hmm. the, the fast switch runner has to build up volume and then graduate back their speed it's the, it's the exact opposite for them. I always look at it like the scales of justice, right? Yeah. As volume rises, intensity has to initially drop. And as intensity rises, volume has to initially drop. And it's just going back and forth. And if you're a high volume athlete, then you probably can't be cracking the whip on speed work every single day. But if you're a low volume, you get to add a little bit more into there because you're making up for the stress. Correct. So I think you have to ask yourself, if you're sitting there saying, like, what do I do with myself? I think you break yourself down into one of two categories. I say, hey, I'm either a fast switch athlete that needs to build endurance, or I have enough endurance. I can stay on my feet all day, but I'm slow. And and if that's the case, then I think even though you hire mileage athletes who are slower, so to speak, it's going to be a, it's a tough thing to drop mileage. You think you're going to decondition. I have a number of athletes that can vouch to you now that that is not the case. And they've seen more uh, progression in their fitness in the last few months than they have in years of training. Um, So that would be the first thing I would decide. And then the second thing I wanted to touch on with being a lower volume, as we call it, athlete, is there's a way around that. And you just touch on that bracket. And that is hitting your quality workouts, being lower mileage throughout the week, but still every week hitting that big quality three-hour run effort or two-hour run effort. Um, there's a lot of guys in our sport, and I would probably include myself as one of them, who keeps uh, keeps my volume pretty reasonable through the week, but every weekend I'm hitting that big, big run. I don't need to do 10, 12-mile recovery runs. I can do a six-mile recovery run throughout the week, but then put three hours on feet over the weekend. And honestly, that's enough to get all the endurance benefits I need. So if you can, even if your body can't handle a ton of total volume, if you can still get in that big quality long time on feet once a week, and then just short purposeful work uh, in between, you're going to see almost all the benefit you need to get better at this sport, in my opinion. Well, this is one of the places where I diverge from the general consensus in the running community, or at least the historical general consensus. I don't believe that your long run has to be limited by being a percentage of your weekly volume. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe it. I agree. I know why that people say don't do longer than 10% of your volume in your long run or don't do longer than 20% of your volume as your long run. They say that I, for injury purposes. Yeah, and I get that. That makes a lot of sense. However, me personally, just anecdotally, every athlete I've ever known 
gets injured more off high volume of moderate running throughout a week or a month or a year, much more often than they get injured off for doing long runs. Yep. I have the, the injury occurrence rate of just the athletes I've worked with and that I've seen and known is higher amongst high volume, moderate effort runners than it is among low volume runners who also hit a long run or long workouts. I just don't see the same correlation. And I don't believe that your body cares. I believe that your body knows stress and it knows recovery. And I think that seven days of moderate running for 60 to 90 minutes is way more stressful than doing, you know, four days of 40 minutes easy and a three hour crack the whip long runs. I just, I just don't believe that your body cares. Oh, we overextended our, our percentage for the week. Now we're going to get a stress fracture. Stress fractures don't come from single efforts generally. They come from the water dripping on the concrete over time. I can vouch for that. Yeah, you don't drip water on the concrete during a three-hour trail long run. You drip water on the concrete by running that moderate intensity for miles and miles and miles and miles every single day. Yeah, that's a great analogy, Mr. Analogy. Thank you. Yeah, shocking. And I guess I know I will get pushback on that. And I am open to have my mind changed. But if you were to put both of us out to train and you said, Kirk, you go run 90 miles a week at heart rate 150 to 155 every day, or Kirk, go run 40, but you're hitting a 20 mile long run every weekend, which one's going to hurt you first? Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to. And so I don't want logic to take a back seat to kind of the the historical standard of the percentage of what the long run should be. I think we do need to look around and realize most people are doing their long runs on trails. Most people are doing them um, in a safe manner. Most people don't run high mileage in a safe manner and, and, and kind of picking your battles. Yeah. And then and, and piggyback the 80-20 philosophy on all that and, and you have yourself a better formula. I think more people agree with you on that, Bracken, than you think. I would say the running books out there, the running coaches, that they they're they're hesitant to put out take the take the rev limiter off and go do some really long runs because they know what that's going to lead yeah. to is people crack the whip throughout the week and then do a three hour long run, okay. and I get it, but I think that it's time to start to get people away from being um, roped into this concept of I can't exceed a percentage of my weekly volume on my long day. Yeah. So here at the running public, we like to talk theory. Um, and we're just honestly having a casual conversation about this, if you guys haven't noticed, but we also like to give you actionable items to move forward. We're not, we're not holding anything back from you guys. So I would tell you, if you are the fast twitch ball sport athlete, and you know what, Bracken, know you know I notice is we have probably more fast twitch athletes in this sport that have come from other sports than you realize. I think most people that occupy the age group and open categories are more ball sport athletes, fast twitch. Step one for you guys is to work on time on feet so you can increase your stay power. And the first place I would do that is keep your mileage during the week roughly the same, but start increasing that long run on the weekend. Step one, increase the amount of time you're spending on feet in one big bout. Let's not try to bump your four mile run on Monday to eight and then your Tuesday run to 10 miles instead of six. What I would say is keep your weekly volume the same and then work on plucking away at your time on feet in your long run every week. Build that up over three, four, five, six weeks, then recover, take a down week, and then maybe start filtering on a little more volume throughout the week. But step one for you guys, if you feel like your stay power sucks, you don't have great endurance, 
is to focus on increasing that one long run per week, step one. That's just my opinion there. Mm -hmm. I, like that. That, I do. And the other way of getting around that, I think, is doing a threshold block, doing two, at least two threshold workouts, long tempos or, lo or medium to long tempos with long um, threshold intervals throughout there and keeping those workouts high volume, you know, eight, nine, 10 miles worth of work on those days or um, or subbing one out for the long run and doing threshold work throughout that. But then you let your in-between days support those days because threshold is all about speed extension and long runs all about staying power. So that's what the fast twitch athlete needs, but they also need recovery because they're not just that aerobic monster who can churn for hours and hours. And so you're Let's say you're working out Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday. Those days are only existing to support your big long days. And so at first, yeah, that might be three or four miles per day. And that looks really weak on paper and on Strava. And it's not something you're going to get a ton of kudos on, but you don't stress over it. And over time, three miles becomes four. And over time, four miles becomes six. And suddenly you're running six or seven miles at the same effort with the same amount of recovery and regeneration for your body that used to get off three miles. And suddenly you're hitting volume. But yeah, you're right. You let your big efforts drive how much you need recovery in between rather than saying, I am hitting six or seven miles every easy day. And then I'm going to see how long I can get on the weekend. Yep. That's not the way to do it. The way to do it is to work on that long run first. Step one, Step two, then filter in a little more volume throughout the week. And with a, a program like that, guys, uh, we're still going to implement also like two or three high volume weeks where you're building. And then you do need a deload week in there. It doesn't mean every weekend go longer and longer and longer until you have broken legs. It means be smart. Take two to three weeks where you build that up. Then take a deload week where you go shorter volume on that long run and overall lower volume and then rebuild again. So it's build, recover, build, recover. Um, now let's take the other side of the coin. So if you are that slow as molasses athlete who can hold that pace all day and you're, and I hear a lot of that too. Like I'm just so slow. Like you, I prescribed a lot of mile time trials these last two to four weeks. And some of my athletes are just, just dreaded them. And I had a lot of disappointed athletes like, Oh man, I didn't realize like, first of all, that hurt. I, w I haven't hurt that sharp in a while. And two, I can't believe how slow it was. Like I need to work on my speed. So for that athlete, I would first emphasize you can keep your long run in on the weekends. I think that high mileage athlete who has a lot of endurance for your sanity, for keeping that endurance, I keep that long run in there. Your longest effort of the week, keep it the same. Where I'm going to tell you to do is I'm going to tell you to drop your midweek recovery run efforts to lower volume. And we're going to shorten the length of your intervals to some short, fast, like 5K or faster pace stuff, stuff that's super uncomfortable and that you dread, stuff that you don't want to do because it's you know painful. Um, I would start shortening the duration of your intervals, increasing the pace, and then decreasing the time on feet in your recovery efforts midweek with still keeping that long running on the weekend because that's what you thrive off of. And I think you need it for physiological reasons and sanity reasons. I agree. One thing I do want to touch upon is down weeks. Yeah. That now that people are starting to hear and think about how do I really structure my week, the down week now starts to become a really crucial element to your training plan. Mm -hmm. The way I structure it is that the higher intensity my quality days are, the more frequently I take deload weeks. Whereas if I'm building volume strictly over quality, I actually have to take deload weeks less often. I'm just saying I'm at 40 miles per week right now. I need to get to 70 within the next four to six weeks. I can build that up, reduce my quality a little bit, and maybe not take a down week that entire time. 
But sure. once I get to 70 and I'm adding quality in, suddenly I have to take it down a week every third week generally. Sometimes I can extend it to four, but my intensity drives my need for, for deload weeks personally. What about you? You know, I'm always more riding the line of what injury am I managing versus how do my, <laughs> how do my legs feel? So, so my lines get a little blurred, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I notice with a build is when I'm building volume, and knock on wood, I've been healthy and I'm feeling good. But uh, when I start building, I'll take a down week and then I'll build. And for the first week or two of that build of higher mileage, I'm going to feel pretty good. I'm going to pop some workouts. That third week at high mileage for me, I'm going to start feeling a little flat. I'm going to start craving that down week. I'm going to be like, uh, I'm dragging myself to do the workouts. I might be just a little slower than I want. And my body always just tells me like, hey, man, you're craving this. Get through this week and then deload because – uh, if you just listen to the signals your body is telling you, it's probably going to, you just listen to it. And for me, it seems like three high weeks and that set that last week of the three high weeks, I'm starting to get pretty thrashed. That last long run, usually I'm real sluggish, heavy footed, and then I deload. Uh, do you ever experience that? Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I kind of deal with it differently each time, depending on what my goal is. If it's a shorter, faster race, I'm deloading earlier than later. Like I don't want to get behind on fatigue, but if it's going to be something longer and grindy, I don't mind going through. I almost take a little bit of pleasure in having two weeks in a row where I'm like, I needed my deload week this week, but I'm going to make it one more and just accumulate some fatigue. But then I'm really deloading. And, and because I haven't dealt with lower leg issues, I've dealt with a lot of issues over the last three years, but historically, none of it has been overuse issues. And prior to this three-year stretch, I had no real issues whatsoever. So I never dealt with stress fracture, stress reaction, um, any of that kind of stuff. So I could get away with pushing an extra week or two, and then I deload, and suddenly I feel like things compounded, and I really came together after that week. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, and and you've earned that right. You've earned that right to build that volume, and you've earned that right to take the rest following that and let that training soak in and thus, you know, really experience your fitness gains. You've earned that right through years and years of running. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's your right. I want to, um, I want to touch on, so, so what is, what is right for you then? What, okay, let's say you're in the middle of the road here and you could go either way. Like, you're like, Hey, I, I don't know what I am. I'm, I don't know if I need more speed or more endurance to get better. I feel like I have pretty well-rounded fitness. I don't know. What do I like? Do I just keep doing what I'm doing or do I try to push one direction or the other? Um, what do I, what do I do there? And I think now, you know, we're starting to get closer to races, but you may also want to experiment a little bit with things. It's okay to do that once in a while. I've done it. Um, I will tell you guys, now I'm not the best in this sport. I still intend to be at some point. However, um, my best season was 2018 where I think I strung together a fourth, a fifth, a fifth or a sixth in the U S national series races. Do you know, Bracken, I was a four day a week runner then. Yeah. You know, yeah, that you were... even, even now, in fact, my best performance last year, I was fourth at Jacksonville in 2019. I was running three or four days a week, guys, with that performance. Um, I look back at my log before we, we chatted today just to, to remind myself. And I had more days of or more weeks of three run weeks than I did of four or five run weeks because I was managing some injuries, but I was filling that time on the bike. So I just, again, I, I acknowledge that there are better people in this sport than I am but I'm also going to throw in your face that I put together really good races on three or four days a week of running. So don't let time on feet limit you like mentally to your potential capacity because I've done it. I hit my quality workouts every week. 
my Tuesday workouts, my Thursday workout, which we call our midweek long run, and then a Saturday workout, which was a long run. And then I was filling my 80% mostly in cross training, biking, I was rowing at a lower capacity to recover. So I was just recovering between my big, hard workouts. And I still had a, an engine that could perform. So I just want to touch on the lower volume side of things because that's the card I've been dealt a lot in the last few years. And you can perform well off of that. Don't think that more mileage means better. Um, again, I'm acknowledging that people that run more have performed better than I have, but it's possible. So um, I, I wanted to get that point across. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever performed well on low mileage yep. through injuries? When have you? Um, not, not even because of injury. Uh, you you kind of segued me perfectly into my my final point I want to make, which I feel ties all of my other points together, which is yeah. that when I look back at my three most successful seasons and my most successful races where, and I don't necessarily mean wins, but during a race where I know like we are working hard and I'm coherent right now, mm -hmm. like I'm hurting, but I have more. And I may not even right now be able to go any faster, but I can hold on to this for a long time. And I know then I'm going to be able to close it down. So throughout all those times, I actually had a little bit, I had some discrepancies in my volume and in my weekly setup and all that. But the one thing that was totally dialed in during that time was consistency. I was hitting every day as scheduled. Sure. And when it wasn't as scheduled, I made the adjustment to the rest of the week and the next week, and I kept hitting it. And so what I've actually found looking back is that I've been successful off 35 to 45 at different points in my career. I've been successful off 70 plus at certain points. My sweet spot actually seems to be 50 to 60. But no matter what, I've run those mileages with bad results when the day in day out consistency was not present. Yeah. And so what I would say is that whether you're high mileage or low mileage or moderate actually takes a backseat to when you are consistent. If you are happy in your training, feeling good, and you can just get every day checked off the calendar, that's going to get you closer to your peak result than hitting the proper number sporadically or without passion. Mm -hmm. My numbers have seemed to matter less than every day on the calendar being checked off has mattered. Correct. Approaching a day with a specific purpose for that day, whether it's recovery or threshold work or anaerobic work and following the plan. Um, and we did a, we did a cross training, you know, through injury episode and that, that can kind of tie into the low mileage athlete as well. And looking back in hindsight, when I refer to my 2018 season and beginning of 2019, where I was running three or four days a week, Ironically, like putting time on the bike, like I just couldn't get my heart rate as high. I was truly recovering in between hard run efforts because those those cross training modalities were just warranting a lower heart rate. And what I realized is I was really doing a good job of recovering between big hard run efforts and I was always ready for my next one. And when I did that, I kept hitting nice high ceilings in my high quality days, which helped keep progressing my fitness. And I might have only been putting 20, 30 miles on feet, uh, yet I could have got the same fitness out of running 60 miles a week because I was recovering and hitting what mattered. Just it's a day-to-day -day process. It's staying focused. I, I didn't want to get too biased with this, but because the way life has led me in training as an athlete, you know, if I just had somebody right in the middle of the fence and they said, I don't know which way to go, you know, I would say the high mileage athlete is a little over glorified. Um, people think more means better. I don't necessarily agree, you know, after, you know, long way to get to this after 50 minutes of chatting about it. But, um, point being is, is you can have high fitness on either. Mm -hmm. I and agree. I think that 
looking at everything I feel and believe and everything I've done in my training that I lean towards the philosophy of a high mileage or high volume person. I don't want to, I, I feel like I get too pigeonholed into mileage sometimes, high volume of work. Yeah, I agree. That my mileage actually, I'm at my best as an athlete when I do moderate mileage, high volume. Mm-hmm. Where my mm-hmm. running generally 50 to 60 is my sweet spot, but I have to be getting vert throughout that. So that's extra time. And then at that at that mileage, I'm still able to hit real speed work, real threshold work, and real lifting and kind of OCR wads. If I get into the 70s, my lifting and my speed work has to suffer a little bit. And if I drop down into the 30s, then I get all the lifting and speed work I could ever want, but my long run and my endurance suffers a little bit. And so I find that I can fit everything in with moderate mileage and high volume. So I guess that's where I'd stand. I stand as a moderate mileage, high volume athlete mm-hmm. and, and coach, and that my volume comes in through my body of work, through all modalities, but that my running volume has to stay moderate in order to get the most bang for my buck, but also leave some time in my training week to cross train, to lift, to do my mobility and to do my skill work. You know, you brought up a really good point that we left out with this whole conversation or that I feel like I left out with this whole conversation is that is I'm talking about being a three day a week runner, but I'm still doing bouts of cardio and strength work seven, six or seven days a week. So you're right. There's a big thing. You need to distinguish volume from mileage because I was still roughly a moderate to high volume athlete while I was running three days a week. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't putting as much of that time on feet. So don't don't let me us mislead you thinking, oh, if I just hit three big run workouts a week and don't do anything in between, I'm going to, that's all I need to do. We're still putting in the time just in other modalities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I second that. What uh, What have we missed in this conversation that you want to touch on? Specificity of training towards your event does matter. If mm-hmm. I were starting this conversation all over right now, but we're talking about training for the Olympic trials marathon, my recommendations vary a little bit. My same guidelines exist, which are you have to hit your big quality days in your long runs. But now it's about pushing the envelope about how much mileage can I maintain in between and maybe sacrificing a few quality days here and there for the overall volume. But if I was starting over talking about a miler or a 5K runner or a short course specialist, some of the the intensity and the quality race sim days would absolutely trump any amount of long runs I could do. And so I think the purpose here is to decide, A, why am I building my volume? Am I building towards an ultra? Am I building towards short course? Am I building towards a moderate distance? And then that tells you what really holds the trump card in between your your volume and your intensity. But that no matter what, your quality days in your long run and your recovery drives your week. It's just how do those quality and long runs look so that you can hit your end result, which is always to just compete well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think... I'm bringing this up for a certain reason. I had a conversation with Ryan Woods yesterday. Um, do you think age factors into this at all when you start to decide um, now does a 16 year old kid who hasn't spent a lot of time on feet in his life, but he still wants to be good at this sport. Does that kid say, Hey, let's just put as much volume on you as we can, because you need to build an aerobic base versus the 40 or 50 year old athlete who's been participating for years. Okay. You know where I'm going with this. Yeah. So what does that athlete need? Who's yeah, been a runner for 20, 30 years. Um, the reason I bring this up and then I'll give you the floor is I had a conversation with Ryan Woods yesterday and we were bantering about 
uh, racing again. It was just uh, on like Messenger on, on Instagram. And he said he's been hitting the track three, four times a week, hitting 200 meter repeats because Ryan Woods is feeling slow in his old age. And he says, I have lost my turnover. I can't hit my peak speed. It's translating to distance. So right now, I made a post last week about working on your weaknesses during this time. And the good athletes do that. And Ryan Woods recognized, hey, where I'm where I'm losing ground right now is my raw speed is starting to slip as I'm you know 41 years old. So he's lowering his volume at times and working on short spicy stuff because he knows that's what he needs. So where do you direct that conversation as far as age goes? I think it comes right back down to less about age and more about filling your bucket for a race. Because I know older athletes who are like, you know what? I My body is so destroyed by speed work now, but I can run moderate every single day and do mileage doing it. And then I know some older athletes who are like, I can't handle the pounding anymore, but I need to do all my speed work to make up for that, all the losses I've had over the years. So I think it's looking at your athletic profile and saying, where are my glaring weaknesses and where have I topped out? You have a guy like Ryan who's put in his 10,000 hours of aerobic development. Mm -hmm. There's not much he can do to get better aerobically at this point throughout at this point in his career, but there are diminishing returns. And so, yeah, he can probably survive for probably even years of reduced volume, but increasing his speed work to make up for the lack of get up and go that has kind of, you know, it's atrophied over the years. Mm -hmm. And he can probably milk that for three to five years. You see a lot of people that in their mid to late thirties, keep increasing volume, marathon runners, whoever, and then suddenly they drop volume late in their career as a master's athlete, and now they're pounding speed work for that exact mm -hmm. same reason. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely dependent on what your skill set is more than your age. Yeah, I you know using Ryan Woods as an example, he's been putting money in his his aerobic bank for his entire life. That mm -hmm. his bank is full of aerobic money, and he's he's earned that. And I, I my philosophy now that I'm I'm you know. Now I'm this ripe age of 37, and I know I, I can just feel the last few years that what slips for me is is the high end fast twitch speed. Um, I need to I need to feed that more in order to keep it or build it. And so a lot of times for athletes who have been running their whole lives, and I know we have some listeners in their 40s and 50s, I may push you to reduce your volume and just increase that sharp speedy stuff. Uh, you may actually see better fitness gains off of that. Again, that is if you have been putting money in your aerobic bank for years and years. Um, I just think age does factor into this because if I was having this conversation with a high school athlete, it's all about their, their legs are snappy enough. Like at that point, it's all mm -hmm. about like starting to put some volume in. And that's where you see a lot of gains for younger athletes. So I just think it's something we didn't touch on that the younger you are, I may push you more to just try to get more time on feet. Whereas if you're older, I may push you out of your comfort zone with some higher pace work. It's a good, it's a good way to put that. I had a conversation with a guy once who wasn't a runner. He was more from the strength training world. And he said, you have to be, he had some very specific views about running that I didn't agree with, but he was very well read. And so I took him seriously when we had these conversations, but he, uh, he basically said, once you raise any level of work into your body, that's your new like baseline. And you have to exceed that to get any benefit. And I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm, I, don't, I don't think that once you've run 70 miles a week, you get worse if you run 65 or you don't get better until you run 75. I, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that your body knows intensity, it knows stress and it knows fatigue. And that as you age and you've tapped out your resources in some areas, 
you just balance those scales of justice again. You drop that volume. And now, like you say, Ryan's doing track work three times a week. Would we tell a 16-year-old kid to do track work three times a week who can just spring out of bed and run an 11 flat 100? No, you wouldn't. Mm -hmm. But if you need that in your life and your stress from volumes dropping, you got to add that stress back in. And the overall stress, that load is what your body knows. It doesn't know numbers. It knows intensity. Yep. And you're absolutely right about that. As you age, you have to refill your bucket differently than you used to. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, my wheels have been spinning that that direction a little more. And and even just what I did this weekend, just kind of, I don't know, put a little bit of things into perspective for me. I felt so slow. I felt so craving something fast. And I said, if I had to run a seven minute mile at the end of that 37 mile effort this weekend with a gun to my head, I don't think I could have broke seven minutes. Granted, it was time on feet, but I this weekend made me crave and realize like I need to go back and get some sharp work in because I spent enough time on feet over the years. I need to keep that high end functioning. So I got a little, a uh, little different plan moving forward just based off of some realizations that way. Do we have a one mile uh, post collegiate PR coming your way this year? That's a great question. I, I do 5K? need, I do need to retest. Um, I definitely need to retest that mile. I, I don't know if I'll rip the Band-Aid off and just suck one up right away, just and be humbled and then go retest. But I, I know when I'm a fast miler, I'm a fast 5K'er, and I'm a fast hour race athlete. And I know in college when I was a fast 1,500-meter runner, I was also my best 5K'er, and I was also my best. They, they bleed into one another, and I think speed bleeds into endurance. The more efficient you can get at a faster pace means you're going to be hell of efficient at a slower pace. And so – um, we'll see. That's a TBD thing. I'm waiting for this race schedule to get officially confirmed and then we'll, we'll see where the direction goes there. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see brother. Well, hopefully we've provided some clarity rather than just stirred more mud into a muddy pond. <laughs> it's a tough one to provide clarity on. It is but because it there's not a right or wrong. It's not like the easy button at Staples that you push like, boom, you are high mileage. Like <laughs> it's not how it works. It's no. finding your balance. But I hope that the two theories and philosophies of high versus low, and then I guess that middle ground, I hope that that rung true for some people and they at least know how they're going to start testing out what works best for them. Yeah. And again, it brings us back to something we always harp on, which is time trials. The only way that you cannot know how things are working for you is if you don't test out. But if you're retesting every five to eight weeks, you just never go wrong because what's the, you get at most, you can get a month and a half slightly off course. And then something says, Hey, you just got slower. And then you can re, you can course correct. So throughout this time, you really do need to keep your test going so that you can mark down in your log exactly what has and has not worked for you as an athlete. Yeah, the time trial doesn't lie. We're still getting tagged in time trials like a dozen yeah, we are. a week. Just uh, it's funny how that still has has continued, which I love. Um, I think we uh, I think we covered what we need to today there. I just want to remind you guys again, uh, we got three more weeks uh, where we're giving away one free week of coaching to you cool cats. Which means I uh, got to write us cool a review. cats and kittens. Cool cats and kittens. Um, just write us a review, and uh, we will randomly put you in again. If you wrote us a review already this last week, uh, you are still in the pool. That didn't go to waste. We will add you in. But you got three more weeks. We'll announce the next winner on our next training Tuesday. Um, and as always, send us what you want to hear. Almost our last. God, how many conversations back and have been guided by what we are receiving as feedback and what you want to know about. So continue to message us. You're not a pain in the ass. We welcome uh, sliding into our DMs. Mm -hmm. And as always, we appreciate the support. Have a great week of training, ladies and gents. See you guys. Mm -hmm.